Take brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion. So we've all had maybe one of those days, right? We always say it's one of those days. It's kind of a phrase we're familiar with. And for a lot of people that on any given day, that might mean something different. I'm having one of those days might mean financial issues or family issues or fear or failure, something weighing heavily on your mind. But all of us can remember a time when maybe we were even ready to despair of life itself or maybe even give up our faith. And maybe some among us are going through that even today. It is during those times that the body of Christ, the church, the family of God is of utmost importance. So maybe you actually have a positive memory of one of those days because a brother or sister in Christ offered some timely encouragement that kept you from sinking or even more so lifted you from the pit of despair. Or maybe you've gone through a particularly challenging situation when your entire world or sense of identity was shaken such as when the family member's been lost. When we're in those trials, we must lean heavily on each other and encourage one another. As Christians, we are commanded to do that. We must find encouragement in each other. And as Christians, we must encourage each other daily. And in this short passage I just read, we see a link between encouragement and ultimate spiritual success. In other words, our encouraging each other has a direct impact on our continued faith in God and, and whether we will end well in the faith. So there's three uh, points I'm going to kind of mention in these verses that can be summed up in this way. Sin turns us from God. We must encourage each other not to sin. And ending well is paramount. Now, I always say context is king. It's important to see uh, where this passage fits in with Hebrews and where it fits in with the rest of Scripture as well. And right before this passage and also right after it, the writer is reminding the Hebrew people about the Exodus or what we would call the book of Exodus, but those times that led up to and after uh, the time when the, they were freed as slaves from Egypt. And there's times as you read through Hebrews that the writer seems to be addressing Jewish believers in Jesus Christ. And then at other times he seems to be addressing Jewish people who have not yet believed the gospel. And so we see that going on throughout the book of Hebrews. Now just before the passage we just read... The Jews are reminded how the greatest man of faith, Moses, had people who rebelled against his leadership, and though they were really rebelling against God. And this happened despite these people being eyewitnesses 
to some of the most stunning miracles ever recorded. And this is a sober reminder to us that even people who have seen the mighty hand of God at work, whether in subtle ways or in miraculous ways like the people of the Exodus saw, even they could quickly lose faith and lose hope. It's a sad statement. It reflects the sin nature of people. But in the case here, the writer wants to see Christians keep their faith strong and also to inspire those who have not yet believed to consider the compelling case for Jesus Christ. And so when the writer says that we should not have a sinful, unbelieving heart, nor hardness of heart, he's saying that we should not have sinful, unbelieving hearts like the Israelites of the Exodus, who saw all these miracles, the parting of the sea, the, the deliverance of the Ten Commandments, the cloud of uh, the cloud at night, and then the 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 uh, or the cloud during the day, the pillar of fire at night. They saw all of that. They saw the water come out of the rock, and yet they had a hardness of heart that they turned quickly to unbelief, even after witnessing that. If it's a potential for people who saw those visual miracles, is it not a potential for us as well? to kind of forget what God has done for us. To put it another way, we who know the truth about Christ today should not neglect that truth or become presumptuous about it. We must carefully watch out for sin that would turn us away. And we must encourage each other in that effort so that unlike the Israelites, we will be able to enter into our promise. So the first point that we had there is that sin turns us away from God. Sin is what separates us from God. And that's because God cannot look upon sin and his holiness. Sin can have no part of him, nor can he have any part of sin at all. And that's why sin separates us from God, necessarily. It's a necessary thing because of his holiness. He cannot have communion with sin. He can in no way tolerate sin or have any fellowship whatsoever with a sinful being. Now this is clear when we look at the entirety of Scripture, all the way back from the strict rules of that sacrificial system that we talked about, well, we're getting to a little bit this morning in Sunday school, but that sacrificial system in Leviticus, and then to the fear that Isaiah had, and when you read in Isaiah that he was so worried about being in the presence of God, he thought he must be killed. When he saw the glory of God, he was frightened because of his own sinfulness. It it is God's holiness that made it impossible that Moses could look at him face to face. It is his holiness that made it necessary for the priests to take such a careful approach and a a set of instructions before they could approach the Holy of Holies so that they wouldn't be instantly smote We don't use the word smote enough, I think. But they had a whole regiment they had to go through. And mostly, they better be right here in their heart before they approach that Holy of Holies. It's a serious thing. The only way we can have a relationship with God is because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ as atonement for our sins, past, present, and future. 
And when we know Christ and put our faith in him, God sees us through the blood of Christ. That's good news. That cleanses us from our sin, that same blood. Only when God sees us through his son can we approach him. And Jesus made this clear. He said, no man can come to the Father except through me. And since sin turns us away from God, we must always be on guard that we don't continue in sin. Now make no mistake, Christians are not perfect. Some might think they are, but we will still fail to live up to Christ's standard. Paul writes of this in Romans 5-8, to which we went through. It's a section of scripture that reminds us of, of how serious sin is. And it points out that just because we cannot live up to that standard in our flesh does not mean we should not try. And it cautions us also not to abuse the grace we find in Christ by intentionally persisting in sin. The next point I had up there was that we must encourage each other not to sin. Now usually when we think of encouragement in our world today, and let me say outside of the church, what is encouragement today? You're just okay the way you are. Don't you worry. You can be whatever you want to be. Just follow your dreams. You're a good person, this and that. Well, if that were the case, why would, Paul, why would the writer to the Hebrews say that we need to encourage each other not to sin? Now, this is the main verse in the passage that I wanted to speak about this morning, and it's a very interesting verse because it links a warning about sin and rebellion and hardness of heart with the hope of finishing well in our faith to our mutual encouragement. Now, basically, this passage is telling us that we, that is the church, that is the believers, this is a total side note. I saw this again this week, and, and you know, there's all these gloom and doom statistics about people walking away from the faith. But when the statistics are redone with people who are actually identifying what they believe, true believers are not walking away from the faith. I want to tell you that. When you see all those statistics about how kids walk away from the church and this and that, it's, it's, it's those who do not hold the tenets of our faith, that understand their faith, uh, that call themselves Christian because that's how I grew up in the house, you know. But the truth is that people who have an understanding of what their faith is about are not walking away from the faith. So you, if you see all those statistics that are doom and gloom for the church and the church is dying, it's actually not true, okay? Sorry, that was a side note. But anyway, this, this passage is saying, again, we depend on each other. We need each other's encouragement so that we don't fall into the deception of sin. And this is not a new concept that we find all of a sudden for the first time in Hebrews chapter 3. And all of a sudden, wow, oh, okay, this is new. We're not supposed to sin, and we're, not, and we're supposed to encourage each other not to do it. That's not the first time it shows up in Scripture. The Bible the, says throughout that the biblical standard for people of faith, from Genesis all the way to the New Testament, is that community and laws or rules, whatever you want to call it, help to keep us out of trouble. And when we ignore the community, the family of Christ, or we try to strike out on our own, then we're in trouble. And I know people, personally, many, actually several through my life, that out of some frustration 
or some hurt that they've had from church members that they decided, you know what, I'm just going to go it alone. I love Jesus. I don't need a local church. It's all a bunch of hypocrites or whatever they say. And so they think, I can listen to sermons online. I can watch a TV church service, or I can read the Bible by myself, and I'll be fine. Now, I'm not talking about the COVID year, so I just want to be clear. There are people that, for health reasons, are staying home. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about those who feel that they don't need the church at all. Christianity is not, and has never been, and never should be, a faith meant to be lived out alone. Community is necessary, and without that, then we're more likely to give in to that temptation. Because we all have times of weakness and temptation. We must love and care enough for one another to encourage or exhort fellow believers to not continue in sin, but to stay strong and not lose faith, but to finish well and hold on to the convictions that we hold as believers in Jesus Christ. There's an element in the wording of these verses that seems to indicate that we should have no tolerance of unbelief and no tolerance for sin in the midst of believers. And this is to be addressed by encouraging. Note, this is positive reinforcement, not negative. I don't know about you, but I respond rather poorly to negative encouragement. When negative reinforcement, that may work for some people, but here it is the positive encouragement that we're supposed to be doing. And this is because we're not to tear each other down. Rather, we're to build each other up. We're to remind each other of the hope we have in Jesus Christ and, and what our final state in Him is. And because of that, then we encourage each other. Stay strong. Push through. Put your faith in God. With every test, we have a choice, right? Mike talked this morning about the difference between test and temptation. But not only do every test we have a choice, and every temptation we have a choice as well. And that's what we need to remind each other of. Isaiah 35, 3 and 4 says, Strengthen the feeble hands and steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, Be strong. Do not fear. Your Lord will come. He will come with vengeance. With divine retribution, He will come and save you. What does that mean? Who are the feeble hands? Whose knees are unsteady and may give away? Who are those with the fearful hearts? They are brothers and sisters in the church. You know this from Scripture. There's people that seem to just have this automatic faith response to everything and their strong faith, and they carry the rest of us along sometimes. And then there's others that struggle and they, and they have times where they're not sure. Then Scripture tells us to strengthen their feeble hands and steady their knees and say to their, faithful, their fearful hearts, be strong and do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance and with divine retribution. He will save you. 
And in Acts chapter 11, verse 23, Barnabas, who was being sent to Antioch, it says, Scripture says, he encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. Note the writer says this encouragement should be daily. We can't afford as Christians to only be encouraged on Sundays. There's no way we can stay encouraged without the fellowship of other believers. I don't want to be clear. I'm not saying we're not encouraged on Sundays. I'm not saying we're not encouraged by the Scripture readings and by the Holy Spirit as our comforter. These are all keys to our success in finishing the race, running strong. I'm not dismissing those in any way. However, we must remember God designed us in His image. Just as God exists in the communion of the Trinity, so we must exist in harmony with our community. And when the writer asserts that we need to encourage each other daily, he doesn't mean weekly. I think he means daily. The word for daily, um, they could have, in some translations, it might also say day by day. There's no other conclusion to come to from this verse except that it means exactly what it says. Encourage each other daily or day by day. This is reiterated later in the book of Hebrews when the writer says we are not to quit meeting together but to continue. How do we encourage each other daily? Well, practical considerations might make it difficult. We don't come into contact with each other all on a daily basis. So how do we do that? By any means necessary. Make it a point to encourage other Christians in their faith. If you live with a family or a spouse, it starts there. Kids, if you notice mom or dad discouraged or stressed about work or other issues, encourage them with a Bible verse or story. I can tell you there's nothing more delightful than having your own child inspire you with scripture to bring you out of a funk praise god you should be teaching your kids so that they can do that for you too sometimes but mostly for their own good of course parents are your kids suffering at school they feel like they're in prison remind them of joseph who sat for years in prison while god was laying groundwork for his promotion to a great position do you know someone who feels overwhelmed or incompetent to do something they're required to do? Remind them that God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. These are good examples of encouragement, but remember the main reason for encouraging, as stated in this passage, is to prevent each other from sinning. And that means we should need to challenge each other to live as we should. And one reason for this is that we ought to desire for ourselves and for all of our brothers and sisters in Christ that we would finish strong. And that's what the next verse tells us about. And that's the final point, that ending well is paramount. We've come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. Now we see in this verse a conditional statement. A conditional statement. Whenever we see an if like this, it means that the first part of the statement is conditional. For some reason, we know this works in our day-to-day -day life, and, but people look at the Bible and they don't remember the if means something. 
it means that this statement I'm about to make is conditional or dependent on the second part of the statement or the first part if the if goes before that. Now this verse and others seem to indicate to some they think that means our security in Christ can be lost or surrendered by us. We know from other scripture that's not true. If, if someone has been truly saved, now let me say truly saved, found Christ, put true saving faith in Christ, according to Ephesians, they are sealed by the Holy Spirit. Is the Holy Spirit able to make a seal that's broken by you or me? No. And we know in Jesus' prayer in John 17, none of the ones appointed to him will be lost. What this goes against is the idea that some Christians have who feel that eternal life is secured because they had one moment of time and they made a statement of faith. And that's a sticky subject, and I've witnessed some heated discussions on the matter. And it may appear in this verse that there is a possibility of someone falling away from a saving faith, but I think the point Scripture is making in this case and in others is that if someone has a true abiding faith, then the evidence of that is that God preserves their faith to the end. That's what Scripture tells us. And thank God he does the preserving because if it was up to us to preserve it throughout this time, we would all fail. Thank God he does that. If our original confidence does not abide or make it through to the end, then we must not have had a true confidence to begin with. You see, the important thing is finishing well. Paul writes that the Christian life is like a race or a marathon. Keeping our faith to the end is important, and we must guard our hearts and minds from losing the hope that we have. And since this is linked together with mutual encouragement, we see how important it is that we continue to serve each other in this way. The point is that we are dependent on each other. Not for ultimate salvation. Thank God we're dependent on him for that. But we are dependent on each other to enjoy the benefits of our faith in this life. And if you want to finish strong, you need to be around other believers. You want to, if you want others to, to finish strong, then you need to encourage them to do so. Now, conditional statements in the Bible have to be carefully read and understood. Many people love to quote promise verses of the Bible. In fact, there's a whole uh, book I've seen. I think Janelle might have one that was a gift. Here's the promises of Scripture, but some of those are conditional promises. We like to quote the, the promise part, but we don't always like to quote the conditions of the promise. And this is important because this is one of those verses that uh, could be taken a different way, but it says we will share in Christ if we hold our conviction. And since we find this sentence is inspired in the inspired word of God, it must at least be possible and probably likely that some who are in the church and have stated that they believe may truly not be saved. And this is affirmed, this concept, in some of the parables Jesus told, such as the parable of the seeds. He said this in Mark four seventeen: They had no root, and they have no root in themselves. This is the ones who the, the seed falls on rocky soil and grows up quickly. He says, they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. 
Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. Why did they fall away? Did they lose their salvation? Were they saved and became unsaved? Did they have the seal of the Holy Spirit and, and broke that seal on their own? No. They never had the root. They never had true root in themselves. Their belief was never a true saving faith. It must be the case then that some who start out stating their faith do not truly believe. And it must also be true that there is still an opportunity for them. Or else the writer of Hebrews would not have included this exhortation. It seems that some in the church are not truly saved and never will be, but there are also those who are in the church who are not fully in the faith, but they may still make it in the end. And Paul's illustration is the Hebrews, as they were hardened in their hearts after seeing all those miracles. He says, don't become like them. So all of us should strive to finish strong, in the faith, and all of us should be encouraging one another to do the same. So think of it this way. If you want to see someone you love do well at something, you encourage them to stay the course, right? And that's especially important in instilling work ethic or tenacity. If you knew, for example, of a young man who showed great aptitude to be a world-class engineer, well, then you'd encourage him to do well in school. You would encourage him to stay the course. You would encourage him not to get into trouble so he could earn scholarships and awards. You would encourage him to be hopeful and to have good self-esteem. You may even join in the effort by somehow helping him on his path toward completing the training to be an engineer. And once you had invested your time and emotional energy in him, you wouldn't allow him to give up, would you? If the phone rings and he's calling you frustrated, ready to give it all up, you would give many reasons why he should continue. He should continue. Your work might benefit others someday. He should continue so your life has a purpose. He should continue because he dreamed a dream. He should continue so he can hold his shoulders high. And this is how you should encourage your fellow Christian. You should encourage each other not to sin. You should encourage each other to study the Scripture. You should encourage each other to have hope and to see yourselves through the eyes of Christ. You should stand beside each other. And take on the challenges of life together. You should not allow each other to give up or despair. You should remind each other how much each member of this body of believers matters to the others. And you should encourage one another so that when each of us stands before Christ, the best reward will not be public recognition. It won't be the crown even. It, will be, it won't even be the words, well done, good and faithful servant. The greatest reward will be knowing that you finished strong and that you kept the faith. That you finally experienced the fullness of life and unity with Christ. Friends, let me encourage you today. I, don't need, I think this is almost a rhetorical question. Do you look around the world sometimes and wonder where God is in all of it? The scripture tells us he's always near. He's got it all under control. Do you see people getting away with crimes and wonder where the justice is? The psalmist tells us that righteousness and justice are the foundations of our Lord God's throne. Do you feel like you can't overcome your sin? Galatians 5.1 says it's for freedom that Christ says free, stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Now, is it possible that as Paul wrote 5.1, that he was, uh, Galatians 5.1, that he had the Israelites in mind? It's possible, right? Since some would rather have returned to their Egyptian slave masters than follow Moses much further? 
as scripture records. I think I've used this before. I'll use it again. One summer I was going for a jog in the country. It may not look like it now, but I used to jog sometimes in the country. I was coming up on a little rise and I saw an old abandoned farmhouse. And it just so happened that as the timing was just right, as I was coming up, there was the sun coming through that old house. It was, I actually went up to the house to see how the sun was going through it, and it turned out that the front door was gone, and the window on the other side of the house was open. And I just, at that perfect angle, and I took a picture of it too, uh, the sun was coming straight through the door and the window. So I saw this house with a bright glow in the middle of it. It reminded me that God not only wants to shine his love upon us, he wants to shine his light through us. If we're to be a light in the world, how much more so do we need to be a light to each other here in the family of God? So encourage one another. Encourage each other daily. Encourage each other not to have rebellious spirit, spirits. Encourage each other not to sin. Encourage each other not to lose hope. Encourage each other to live out our mutual faith in Jesus Christ. Encourage each other to finish well. Matthew Henry wrote, I haven't quoted Matthew Henry for a while, and I know Mark would like it if I did, so I'm going to quote Matthew Henry. This was written several hundred years ago, but from his commentary, he makes three observations about this passage. Number one, I think I have it on the screen, as the same spirit with which Christians set out in the ways of God, they should maintain and evidence to the end. Those who begin seriously and live with lively affections and holy resolutions and humble reliance should go on in the same spirit. But number two, there are a great many who in the beginning of their profession show a great deal of courage and confidence, but do not hold fast to the end. And three, perseverance in faith is the best evidence of the sincerity of our faith. One of the consequences that we have to be aware of is the consequence we don't know. One of the reasons we encourage each other to do better all the time, to do well, is because we don't even know the consequences of even the smallest sin. We really don't. A word we say in frustration or sarcasm or anything can have a massive impact on someone. And I want to give an example of this. I saw this week, it's not something new, it's something from a while back, I think it was 2014, some people who had well and good meaning. They wanted to have energy that was not produced by fossil fuels. And so they went and they thought about all the ideas they could do. And they thought, where can we do a massive project without impacting the environment too much? Well, the desert, they thought. The sun's bright and hot there. We can go to the desert. And here's what they did. They had thousands of mirrors, each mirror the size of one of your garage doors. And they focused the mirrors uh, up towards this tower that has a, an energy-producing thingamabob at the top. I, I'm not that engineer I was talking about in the earlier <laughs> illustration. I can't explain it all. But anyway, these mirrors move during the day and keep the spot focused on that 
top of that tower where it's 900 degrees and it produces enough power that basically each mirror produces enough power in a year to supply the power for an entire household. Which isn't a bad deal if you think about it. You know, if you had just one mirror the size of your garage door and that could power your house all day or for the year, we'd say that was pretty good. But here's something they didn't predict. We know this in every part of the world that what draws insects? Bright lights, right? So insects were drawn to the bright light of the reflections. What follows insects? Birds. So the birds would come in and they would fly in front of those, all of those mirrors focused at full intensity and they would actually start on fire in midair. Nobody had foreseen this possibility. It was supposed to be this environmentally sound and, and we're, we're doing a good thing here. But they didn't think of that. See, that's unforeseen consequences. I saw, on the same topic, I saw some time back that when they first started doing wind towers, one of the things they did not foresee was that there's just particles in the air, little tiny pieces of dust. And the tips of those go about 150 miles an hour. What happens if you were to drive your car 150 miles an hour through a dust storm? Your windshield gets pitted, right? So over time, they found that we got to figure out a better way to make these blades. They're getting eaten up just by the dust in the air. Unforeseen consequences. And those are not little unforeseen consequences, but the unforeseen consequences for us in this application is how much our sin can affect our lives and others. You have no idea sometimes how a little word can hurt someone or a little action or just, oh, I was blowing my ste it's a little steam off. It's no big deal. Unforeseen consequences happen. And so... The writer of the Hebrews encourages us, hey, help each other out. Encourage each other in a positive way. Look forward to the hope that you have in Christ because you know that ultimately he's going to bring you to glory if your faith is in him. And based upon that, let him captivate every thought and deed you do so that as you go through life, your consequences that are unintended will be positive more than negative. Because eventually you can train yourself to respond the right way where you leave people and they're happy that you saw them and they're encouraged by you and it's a group effort. I pray that God will help us all. Lord, thank you for your word this morning and I pray that as we consider what was written here that we would positively encourage one another, Lord, we encourage each other not to sin, Lord, not to become hardened and like in the rebellion of the Hebrew people. But Lord, there's, a, there's an ultimate positive reason we do so. And it's because of the promises and the hope that you give us. But Lord, we also have to recognize that not all of your promises are free from that if. That some of them have condition. And Lord... I pray that we would be actively looking at our part of the conditional promises. May we seek, Lord, with hearts full of 
gratitude and love towards you for all that you've done. I pray, God, may we have a great desire to serve you well. And may we have a great desire to encourage each other as well so that we may finish this race together. In Jesus' name, amen.